You join us on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And before you join us, we were just talking about how a team of people had to be deployed to remove you from your house over Christmas. Now, tell me more about this. See, now you've made me sound like the star of my 500 pound life. <laughs> I had a back spasm three or four weeks before Christmas, uh, like an absolute lock, couldn't move as much as I tried. So my wife had to call the ambulance and they turned up. When you say you couldn't move, yeah, as you're lying on your back, can't you kind of put your feet at an angle and go around like the, the Isle of Man symbol? I couldn't even do that. I was lying on my side because that's where I'd ended up. I'm trying to imagine this. I, I imagine this. you're like some kind of hamster in a wheel. I, was st I stood up and my back went and I fell to the floor um, and I was in the bathroom. Yeah. So I managed to you're crawl. Naked. Oh, now you see it. So you're naked. No, no, I'm not naked. I managed to pull myself out, literally dragging myself by my arms right. to the uh, landing. This would have been so much better if you were naked. And it really wouldn't. No one wants to see that. I mean, ambulance people aren't paid enough. Um, so I ended up in almost like the, the recovery position, and I couldn't move from there. I was, my back just, whatever I asked it to do, it just refused point blank. So the ambulance people couldn't get you on your feet? No, they couldn't move me at all. They didn't have the technology to get you down the stairs. Serious painkillers rolled onto the board, and I thought their plan for a while was just to sort of balance me at the top of the stairs and give me a push and see at the bottom. Uh, but it turned out that wasn't, that wasn't the plan, thankfully. It took four of them to roll me over onto the board and then, you know, they have to slide it together underneath you, don't they? So that they were lifting me while... Is this, is this like a big orange sleigh? Well, yeah, it comes in two halves lengthways. And they put one length either side of you. Under one cheek and then yeah. the other... <laughs> under the other cheek, and then push. I mean, don't forget I edit this podcast and there's a high chance of this story <laughs> never being in it. <laughs> Can I offer you a drink? Yeah, I need one after reliving that horrible moment. A refreshing libation is what you need. I need something stiff. I've got a choice of two for you this evening, but before I offer you the first one, I'd like to give you a little bit of a dance through um, the menu of Lester Fixin's Many and Various Drinks. Okay. Um, and Lester, his name isn't Fixin, it's Fixin's. Right. There's no apostrophe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Does anyone have an apostrophe in their surname? Well, no, but you would think that if these are the drinks of Lester Fixin, it would come with an apostrophe. Yeah, okay, fair um, enough. The apostrophe might be the best thing on this list. Um, you could have... You could have, I'm not offering any of these, but you could have a bacon soda, not a baking soda, a bacon soda. Right. You could have that same bacon soda with chocolate. Bacon and chocolate. Or bacon with maple syrup, which is basically an American breakfast. Yeah. Uh, you could have the buffalo wing soda. When I say yeah, I mean no. <laughs> you could have coffee. That's a bit, bit boring, isn't it? Fizzy coffee. It's, it's, well, it's just fizzy coffee water. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> you could have mustard, and I'm assured that the mustard is 100% natural. 
right? As opposed to the unnatural mustard. Indeed, you don't want the unnatural mustard. Dear <laughs> God, that comes with the pentagram and diagrams. <laughs> There's the peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Two slices of bread and a soda. Okay. And sweet corn. But I don't want you to have any of those. No, I don't want me to have any of those. <laughs> because that's not what I'm offering you. What I'm offering you... And your mouth will start to water as I say these words. I mean, I'm not optimistic, but carry on. Lester Fixins Ranch Dressing Soda. Mm, that's immediately put me in mind of gentleman's relish, and I don't <laughs> like the idea of it. <laughs> I bought some gentleman's relish, because I thought somewhere in my past I'd had it and enjoyed it. Really? The most disgusting thing I've ever tried in my life. Gentleman's relish. What is it? What is it? I've... It comes in a small pot. Like a specimen jar. You think, well, it's quite an interesting pot, and it's, it's got a nice font and everything. Right. On the outside, gentleman's relish. And you think, oh, that'll be nice. And then you open it. It's disgusting. Mm. It's absolutely one of the worst things I've ever... And I'll put anything in my mouth. I'll try anything once. But not gentleman's relish. What does it taste... Of or like or can I, can I? Well, it tastes a bit like oh, mama. <laughs> That's what it tastes like. Okay. So you don't. Well, anyway, the ranch dressing is on offer. Mm, yeah. Okay. Or alternatively, um, a, a drink that you may like. It's called Smoker's Cough. Okay. Um, romantic name. I wish I could add a little bit of um, the exotic to this. But basically, it's a shot of Jägermeister mm. in a glass with a spoonful of mayonnaise. Is that it? Yeah, I know. It's not very far to walk um, for this one, is it? Uh, it's just the Jägermeister and a spoonful of mayonnaise. And I guess there is some mixing involved, shaking, stirring, whichever you fancy. So... Is it supposed to taste like a smoker's cough or make you cough like you're a smoker? I think both. Okay. <laughs> well, so, you know, Hobson's choice here. You can either have Lester Fixin's ranch dressing soda or you can have a smoker's cough. Well, I mean, once again, I'm going to have to thank you for your kind offer and then tell you where to stick it. Thank you. I've got uh, I've got something to offer you. What have you got? By, by way of a bar snack. Oh, go oh, go on then. Perhaps the unhealthiest uh, meal or snack, at least, ever devised. Yes. You'll be unsurprised to discover it comes from the United States of America. It is chicken fried bacon. This is bacon strips dredged in batter and deep fried like chicken fried steak. You can almost feel your arteries uh, hardening already. Add to that uh, either cream gravy or sausage gravy for uh, dipping. Right, okay. And the majority of health experts, who obviously advise low-fat diets, suggest consuming it in moderation or, preferably, not at all. <laughs> they've taken fat, they've double-coated it in fat, they've yeah. fried it in more fat, and then they've served it with a side order of fat... Nice. Said Jane Hurley. If they put that on the menu, it would have been more honest, wouldn't it? it absolutely. But they do. I mean, I've spent, I've spent a fair time in America. It's a land that I love. 
or it has been. Um, and every time I go, I am amazed at their capacity to put fat on top of fat on top of fat. So your chicken fried bacon strips with extra fat. Yeah. Ah. It's, it's like quintuple fat, basically. But uh, go nicely with the bacon and maple syrup soda. Wouldn't it just? <laughs> Deary me. Got something you want to tell us? Email thefarendofthebar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. Pub quiz. Always up for a pub quiz. Should we stay in the land of America for this one? Robert Wadlow. Do you know anything of Robert Wadlow? Nope. Well, you should do, because everyone should realise and know from their history books that Robert Wadlow was the tallest man ever officially recorded since recordings of tall men officially began okay. as the world's tallest man ever. Right. Robert stood at an immense 8 feet 11.1 inches, which strikes me as mixing imperial and decimal measurements. Yeah. 8 feet 11.1. So, what is that? 8 feet 11 and 1 twelfth. Um, anyway, he's nearly 9 feet tall. And um, he, would, he, he had a problem. In, he had a tumour. It, it seems that um, when people grow very, very tall, it is very often the fault of a tumour. Mm. Had he not had the operation to do something with this tumour, he would have just kept on growing forever. Really? He would have been Jack's beanstalk. He would have just kept on going up into the sky. Yeah. Um, sadly, Robert didn't get out of his early 20s, um, which is very sad. But there are many wonderful photographs of him enjoying life. I think his feet were a size 37. Wow. If I remember correctly. What are you on these days? About a size 8? Size 8, yeah. 29 sizes up. Just uh, get all your shoes out and see how many... Uh, how many 8s make up a 37? It's about four and a half of my shoes. Good Lord. Well, there we are. Madness. Anyway, at 8 feet 11.1 inches... Hmm... Um, I want you to imagine him now, okay? Okay. So using your, your skill, your visualizing skill and judgment, which of these three things would he have been unable to reach the top of? Okay. Right? Yeah. So would he been able easily to reach the top of a basketball hoop? Would he easily have been able to reach the crossbar between rugby posts. And would he easily have been able to touch the top of Michelangelo's David? The top of Michelangelo's David's what? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got right. three choices. A basketball hoop, the crossbar on <laughs> rugby posts, or Michelangelo's David's what? He, he, he can only reach one of these things. No, I'm saying which of these three things would he have been unable Oh, okay. So, two of those things he can reach. Possibly. Oh, hold on a minute. Which of these three things would he have been unable to reach the top of? So, he may have, he may have been unable to reach the top of all three of these things. You want something <laughs> simple, don't you? 
Well, I mean, I'll go with it. Yeah, fine. There's fine. one. There's one thing he couldn't reach. All right. <laughs> How about that? So one of those things he couldn't reach. There you go. <laughs> that mate. I mean, you got you got to throw me a bone here. <laughs> this is like one of those daytime television quizzes now. If you'd like to win this lovely holiday villa, a Bentley, five million pounds in in cash, and all the gold tops you could fit to your house, phone up now and tell us the colour of the sky. Mm. It's not even that anymore, though, is it? You just have to phone them up. Oh, they don't That's even it. ask you a question anymore, do they? Oh, no. no. They, they, they did away with the question. It confused too many people. Answer later, then. Yes, I shall uh, ruminate and cogitate. We'll come back to that. I'm going to uh, introduce the start of a new what will almost certainly be in a regular series and may only even just be this one episode because, you know, it's quite possible that I'll uh, forget all about it. But it is Thread of the Week and this is something that um, I've uh, stumbled across on Twitter and it warmed the cockles of my heart and gave me a bit of a smile as well so I thought I'd share it with a wider audience than uh, obviously we've got more listeners than there are people on Twitter. Indeed. <laughs> so this is from a man called George Poynton, who is a teacher of year one pupils. So that's quite young, isn't it? That's like, um, in old money, that's second year of infants. Oh, is it? Well, yeah. how old are they there? Four or five? So four, they would five, be, five, they'd be five or six, I think. Oh, right. So, you know. Young. We, we. And he asked his year one class, what's the one thing you need to be an adult and he's given us some of the answers and also his analysis and therein lies the joy so let's start with Alice who says I think you should do the voice uh, come on this is character work you could get thousands of pounds worth of voiceover out of this I don't want to uh, I don't want to disrespect come on Alice Alice. how would Alice say it alright Alice a beautiful dress and a baby. She's from abroad. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, a beautiful dress and a baby. And George Poynton's analysis is, step aside Meryl Streep, there's a new devil in Pradas. She's a big businesswoman juggling motherhood. A single parent because men are trash. But she's got a beautiful dress and knows her self-worth. And her baby is already better than you. <laughs> so, this is Katie now. Remember the question is, what's the one thing you need to be an adult? Katie's answer, do the food shopping and not live with your mum. And uh, George Poynton's analysis, if this is the case, then a handful of my friends are still children, which again is absolutely true. Katie is spot on, I think. Adulthood is basically just getting excited about a big food shop and not being with mummy. <laughs> and then the final one for now, I may return to this because it's a glorious thread. It's, it's nice. full of little I confirmed it when you were doing the voice. This is Toby now, so don't forget he's in, he's in year one. And uh, Toby's answer to the question, what's the one thing you need to be an adult? His answer is ID. <laughs> George says he had absolutely no idea what ID stood for or what it meant. He just said, you'll need some ID, which in some ways is true. 
He also added that he had an amazing idea for a drive-through cereal restaurant. It was a good idea, but it was completely irrelevant to the question. <laughs> By the time I got to 10-11, just waiting to, in that last year before you go up to big school, yeah. um, in, the, in the top class, we had our own little um, bookcase. Okay. And we would have moments when we could go and choose books. And my hand fell on something written by Spike Milligan. And this was my first entree to the great man. Wow. I think it was probably the jacket of the book which attracted me, first of all, because I liked drawing and he had strange little drawings all over it. It was mm. called Silly Verses for Kids. Right. And uh, there is one poem in there which has stayed with me forever. And there was little little drawings alongside it. And it was called Edser in Bed, Sir. Right. There was a young soldier called Ed, Sir, who was always late out of bed, Sir. One morning at one, they fired the gun, and Ed, Sir in Bed, Sir, was dead, Sir. <laughs> and that, yeah, there, was, there was a lovely little cartoon of this guy in his bed with an alarm clock by the side of him which hadn't gone off and another guy firing a cannon and then a dotted line where the uh, the shell was heading straight for Edzo's bed wow <laughs> but my my gran used to come up with nonsense poems as well she used to say, not last night, but the night before, two tomcats came knocking at the door. I went downstairs to let them in. They knocked me over with a rolling pin. The rolling pin was made of glass. They picked me up and spanked my ass. No questions, get told no lies. I saw a policeman doing up his flies are a nuisance, bees are worse. This is the end of my strange verse. Now, my granny told me wow. all those years ago, and it, that's always stayed with me. It's complete nonsense. For some reason, recently... I, I thought, well, I wonder if that was just something that my granny had come up with, or whether, because, you know, there are, because she, she was a very funny lady, and she, she would come up with all kinds of stuff, mm. uh, or whether, because there's a moment where it starts to feel a bit like a, a kind of rhyme that you'd say in the playground. Yeah. They knocked me down, and they picked me up and spanked my ass. No questions, get told no lies. I saw a policeman doing it up. His flies are a nuisance. And you think, oh, maybe that's a, a children's play. And I looked it up, and apparently it's a thing all over the world. In Australia, Canada, the UK. Whether it originated in the UK, I don't know. But it's a thing all over the world. And there's different versions of it. But then, <laughs> this is one of my favourites. Not last night, but the night before, three tomcats came knocking at the door. One played the bugle, one played the drum. And one had a pancake stuck to his butt. <laughs> I think that one was from Australia. But but if anybody's got any more of those nonsense verses, silly verses, we'd be delighted to hear those. Absolutely. Drop us an email to thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. We were talking the other night about people with strange names something that we've collected before, you and I. Mm. And I, I do like um, an exotic name, a good strange name. My mind goes back to a multi-instrumentalist, an Irish fella, who played many instruments. He wore a wig, and he was pretty good on everything that he played. But for some reason, he called himself Dan Francisco. 
<laughs> See, that's the reaction, isn't it? Dan Francisco. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Dan Francisco. And straight away you're laughing, but you're laughing at him instead of, you know. And so he comes out and he plays the clarinet and he plays the guitar and he you know, plays the trumpet and all the rest. And all you're thinking is, this fellow's called himself Dan Francisco. The other thing was, of course, you couldn't take your eyes off the fact that he was wearing a wig. One of the mm. most obvious wigs. And a lot of showbiz people wore very obvious wigs and would never accept the fact that they wore a wig. No. Well, because wig technology was ropey, wasn't it? it? For a long time. I mean, you can spot them now quite often, but... Frankie Howard's wig, I mean, for some reason... Francis would never, ever admit to anyone else that he was wearing a wig. Mm. And he was bald as a coot. You know, there was, there, was no, there was nothing upstairs at all. So he put this rat of a thing on his head. And when he went into makeup, if a makeup artist mentioned his wig, he would go bananas. Really? Oh, yeah. He did not like it. And I'm reminded that Bing Crosby as well, because Bing wore a wig. And... Um, when, and it was a very good wig as well, and I think it was when he did the Parkinson show here, um, he went to makeup and um, sat down in the chair and the makeup lady, senior makeup lady, because, you know, you've got to have the very, the best of the best, because this is Bing Crosby sitting yeah. in your chair. Um, yeah. She said, would you like me to fix your wig, Mr. Crosby? And he walked out. <sighs> yeah, he walked out. Walked out. Didn't. I mean, it was supposed, to, it was a secret. It was a secret. <laughs> not, not then. The best kept secrets until he took it off was Paul Daniels' wig. Yeah, there, there was um, that was quite a thing, wasn't it? When he uh, he did the honest thing. Yeah, took it off, and it was gone. But he wasn't bald underneath. He just had less hair. Yeah, so, you know. he should have made more of it, really, and kind of had it turn up in a wardrobe with Debbie <laughs> McGee or something. Oh, as you well know, I collect old showbiz acts, and I've got dozens of old, wonderful bill posters that they used to put outside of theatres that would tell you what was on that week. And some of the names are just wonderful. And so you get the name of the act. And then underneath, you get what they used to call bill matter. So <laughs> when, you were, when, when the agent would book you into a theatre... Um, they would ask for your name and your bill matter because underneath your name would bill be this little slogan, this little kind of logline that would give people a, an idea of what, what you did. Conjurer of knives. Yeah, well, there you go. Lester Sharp and Iris. Right. Which makes me smile already. <laughs> yeah. And underneath, comedy with cards. Oh, my goodness. These are supposed to entice you in, are they? <laughs> Joe Black. Crazy, but harmless. <laughs> Freddie Bamberger and Pam. Right. Just artists. <laughs> Except that only told a tiny bit of the tale of Freddie Bamberger and Pam, because Freddie was an absolutely brilliant pianist. Uh, and the act was... Freddie was at, um, in... Um, White Tie and Tails, at the piano, and play the Warsaw Concerto, or something equally impressive. And then Pam would come on and hand him a great big cloth 
which he would then pin across the keys. Mm. So now he can't see any of the keys. He looks at the audience, winks, and then plays something absolutely brilliant through the cloth. Wow. He can't see anything, but he's playing through the cloth. That's amazing, isn't it? What was Pam doing, though? This is my question. She's walked on, given him the cloth. Yes. And then... Simpering. (laughs) Or maybe she was painting. I don't know, because they were just artists. Just to go back to Dan Francisco. Oh, yes. I've got a couple of friends of mine who've been aiming to get married for many years now, and I've asked them time and time again that if and when they do, they really must go for double-barrelled. Because her surname is Wright, and his surname is Palmer. And I also want them to name their firstborn Mustafa. (laughs) Mustafa Wright Palmer. Talk you through the time that Ian Fleming, author of the James Bond books, and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, advised JFK mm. how he might get rid of Fidel Castro. Oh yes. Mm. Now Fleming was in MI6 during World War Two. Yes. And he learned obviously about spying and the Secret Service, and those all influenced his uh, writing of the uh, creation of. Those all influenced his creation of James Bond. He was also a very dashing man, Fleming, and he had lots of friends within the British government and also had, as an acquaintance, Marilyn Monroe. So this led to him being invited to a party in Washington, D.C., just after John F. Kennedy had been elected. The two got introduced. And in that conversation, he told Kennedy that he had a way to get rid of Fidel Castro, the communist uh, leader who was obviously a big thorn in the American side, right? Indeed. So Kennedy was obviously interested, so he asked for more details. And Fleming's idea was this. He said that Castro's beard was the key. Right. And that without the beard, Castro would look like anybody else. He was one of the things he was most famous for, wasn't it? His, uh, his beard, Fidel Castro. Yes. So, Fleming said that the United States should announce that they had done extensive research and found that beards attract radioactivity. So, anybody with a beard would then become radioactive themselves. So, they would think to themselves, right, I don't want to be radioactive. It'll make me sterile. I'm going to shave off my beard. And... Fleming's theory was that the people would see him as an ordinary person once he'd shaved off his beard and uh, he'd fall from power and Ha-ha! be removed as a problem. I don't recognise you. You could be anyone. Yeah. Clear off. That was the idea, was it? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that only uh, an author of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang could come up with. Really, well, I don't it? know because it, wasn't it the CIA who came up with the gay bomb? Mm. Do you remember this? This was in the Reagan era. Okay. It was going to be filled with chemicals 
maybe it was pheromones, but it was certainly filled, filled with stuff. And you would drop it behind the lines of your enemy. And all the men would start to fancy each other. I'm trying to work out how that actually ended a war, but... Well... It turned you gay, so therefore you wouldn't want to fight. It would be make love, not war. I suppose that's the thinking. Yeah, but that would be a make love. That would be a sex bomb. You need Tom Jones for this. <laughs> you need a sex bomb, which, which makes everybody make love, not war. This was a gay bomb. You're taking to Ronnie Reagan and you say, Mr. Yeah. President, we've come up with something. <laughs> oh, what, what do you got, boys? Uh, well, we're going to make everybody gay. Oh, really? I'm not sure the, the Christian writer are going to like that. Well, no, it's just the enemy. That we're oh, okay. So those darn Ruskies, they're going to go gay, are they? Well, if we drop the bomb in the right place, as they're pointing their tanks towards us, we'll drop the bomb. Is it a pink bomb? We'll drop the bomb, and then everyone goes gay. I'm just imagining the movie now, where they create the bomb... They're transporting it to the front, but before they launch it, it explodes. <laughs> so all the Americans start fancying each other. Yeah. And then, but then the, the, the ultimate twist is because all the American soldiers have started fancying each other, they determine to fight for each other even harder. Well, they were. So loving each other. And so they win the war in the end, and there's a huge crowd scene where everyone's cheering. Then Reagan says, well, you see, it works either way. <laughs> <laughs> Right, pub quiz, the answers. Right. Or the answer. Um, you may remember that we talked about Robert Wadlow, who was the tallest man uh, ever, according to official records. 8 foot 11.1. So, with that in mind, I said, which of these things would he have been unable to reach the top of? A basketball hoop, a crossbar, on rugby posts, or Michelangelo's David, the most famous statue in the world apart from Nelson. I'm pretty sure, having done the necessary cogitation, yes, that he would be able to reach the crossbar of the rugby posts. So, how 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 tall do you reckon that is? I reckon that's about seven and a half foot, something mm -hmm. like that. I haven't played basketball since I was in school, so that's a long time ago. And I and remember. The hoop seemed a long way up when you were at school. It was a long way up. I remember I couldn't jump up and slam dunk, but I did have school friends who could. Oh, they were tall. Well, they would have been six footish, right? So if they could do it, then I would imagine he probably could reach that. So I'm going to have to go with Michael Angelo's David. The crossbar on a rugby post is set at three metres, which is nine foot eight. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, a basketball hoop is ten feet off the ground. So if some of your friends... I think you're misremembering slam dunks. Maybe we had, like, junior basketball hoops. Maybe you had... Uh, maybe you did. Or maybe yeah. you had one person on another person's shoulders. Or a trampoline. Uh, so 10 feet off the ground, 9 feet 8 for the crossbar. He couldn't, so he could have reached both of those, but he could never reach the top of Michelangelo's David because the statue stands 17 feet high. 
And I have calculated, I spent time earlier calculating Did you? how high he could reach. And this is only rough because although I've got his height and I've also got his wingspan, you've got to take into to account the fact that there is a chest yeah. between the two wings. So I reckon that he could easily have reached something that was 12 foot 6 from the ground. Okay. 12 foot 6 from the ground. That's who you want to take shopping to macro, isn't it? <laughs> Excuse me, could you get that off the top shelf? Are you, are you joking? I could get it out of the attic. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or email us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Cheers! <laughs>